Hi, I'm Lisa McKee, Marketing Director, Asia-Pacific O&M Halyard, and you're listening to the Halyard Education Podcast Series. In this episode, we're turning our attention to the role of masks in a pandemic. How does an N95 mask actually work? What's the difference between an N95 and a KN95? How long should a mask be worn for? And we debunk some common mask myths. To discuss these questions and more, I'm joined by Eric Steindorf, Mask Research and Development Lead at O&M Halyard, and my co-host, Ty Bouvier, Marketing Manager for PPE Asia-Pacific at O&M Halyard. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Lisa. Good to be here. Thanks, Lisa. Eric, given you lead the research and development across Halyard's global mask manufacturing business, clearly you're no stranger to the ins and outs of mask manufacturing. Can you give us a flavour for your specific area of expertise? Sure. I am a chemical engineer by training, and I started my career in the non-wovens industry, making materials like the spun bond and melplone that are used in a lot of masks as well as other medical uh, products like drapes and gowns. And in working with uh, product developers, I eventually migrated into a product developing job myself. And so for about the last 20 years, I've been making face masks and respirators and facial protection products for both the medical and industrial fields. So I've been doing this stuff for quite a while. Eric, every day there seems to be a new article about quality issues with masks. The NHS in the UK disposed of 50 million face masks in April this year due to safety concerns. In Asia Pacific, we hear reports of healthcare workers being supplied with contaminated surgical masks. And on top of that, Asia Pacific countries have raised concerns about the efficacy of their donated masks. So can you walk us through what makes a mask a quality mask? Well, the key thing is that you have to have some confidence that the mask is going to do what it says it will do. And as we've all seen, there are a lot of products out there that may not do that. So it kind of goes back to looking at the manufacturer. Are they an established manufacturer? Do they have quality systems in place to ensure that what they are producing is consistent with what they say it's being is being produced? Um, Do they have good raw material systems in place? Do they have established relationships with those raw material suppliers? So it kind of just goes back to who are you dealing with and do they have good documentation of what they're making? That sounds really tricky to know what makes a quality mask. Are there any visual indicators? Yeah, so if you look at the mask, it's important to understand what you want in that mask or respirator. Um, Are you looking for a robust mask that's going to last for a while, or are you just looking for something you're going to use quickly and throw away? So it's helpful to know what you're after and what that mask should look like. So it's going to have good attachment of the ear loops. It's going to have consistent um, product from one mask to the next. The packaging is going to look pretty well. And uh, basically, it's just going to do what you want it to do. What about the flip side, poorly made masks? Are there any visual indicators for masks that likely lack a certain level of quality? So on the flip side, if you have a poorly assembled mask, regardless of the the quality or the design, it's going to fail. It can have things like the ear loops could uh, come off in use or the 
the airflow is going the wrong way. It's going to leak around the edges. And uh, those things can lead to problems. You could get uh, infections or you, you put yourself at a risk of infection. If it failed in use, it could fall off. That's going to put your patient at risk. So it's important to have a product that's not just designed to do what you need it to do, but is well made and will stay in use while you're using it. Many regulatory bodies understandably relaxed registrations in the response to a very sudden high demand for PPE, simply to get those critical supplies to frontline healthcare workers. It appears now those regulatory bodies like the TGA in Australia are calling for proof or substantiation of those quality claims made. And in fact, some 400 cancelled mask registrations have gone through as a consequence. Eric, can you share your perspective? Are those regulatory bodies struggling to catch up with regard to monitoring quality? Well, you've touched on a really important point. With this sudden demand, it's kind of been very chaotic in the marketplace. There's a lot of new players and a lot of products going back and forth between the different regions. Uh, I just learned today that the FDA has rejected close to a thousand um, applications for products. So there's a lot of, of issues out there. Um, but that also highlights that the regulatory bodies are doing a pretty good job of screening these products and keeping the bad stuff out of our marketplace. I understand that Korea has increased the classification of its N95 to a class two medical device. So previously it was just class one, uh, but now they need additional technical information for registrations. So, Eric, while speed is absolutely critical in getting product to healthcare workers around the globe, of course, quality remains foremost at hand as well with regard to ensuring those products are absolutely outstanding in terms of protection levels for healthcare workers. Yes, absolutely, Lisa. At this point in the pandemic, it's very important for us to focus on quality. On top of the guidelines, countries will often have their own set of surgical mask standards, like the US ASTM F2100, Australia's 4381, Europe's EN14683, and the list goes on. Whilst we can't dig into every standard, can you take us through broadly, where are they similar, how do they differ, and why? So for masks, we start with two key performance criteria. One is filtration and the other is breathability. How well does the mask filter small organisms and how easy is it to breathe through? And then for medical masks, there's also the attribute of how well does it resist splashes? So if you're, for instance, in an operating scenario and um, somebody nicks an artery, you may have some blood splash you in the face. Are you assured that you're not going to get that blood soaking through and touching your face? Um, beyond that, they start to diverge a little bit. There's going to be requirements for flammability with some standards. There's going to be requirements for microbial cleanliness for other sta uh, standards. Some will have requirements for strengths of your loops, that sort of thing. But it really goes back to filtration, breathability, and splash resistance. So, Eric, splash resistance is absolutely critical. What would I be looking for as a healthcare worker if I was seeking the best protection in terms of splash resistance in my mask? The best mask for fluid resistance is one that is uh, ASTM F2100 level three, which means that it can resist splashes up to 100 millim 160 millimeters of mercury of pressure. So that's definitely what you'd want to go for. In terms of filtration, most of the standards have a lowest level of 95% with the bacterial filtration efficiency test. And then the next level will typically have 98% bacterial filtration efficiency test. 
And then the other differentiator would still be the splash resistance, whether it's 80 millimeters of mercury, 120 or 160 at the highest end. So Eric, you've taken us through surgical mask standards. What about respirator standards? Are they the same or are they different? They are similar. They're not the same, though. So the two evolved quite differently. The original intent of medical masks was to protect the environment from the wearer and less so about protecting the wearer from the environment. On the other hand, respirators were developed to protect the wearer from their industrial hazards. Respirators do have a different set of standards. They are much more stringent since they were intended to protect the worker from much uh, much broader range of hazards. But the big differences are how they measure filtration and breathability. So for instance, medical masks are measuring filtration using a BFE test, which measures a three micron particle at a relatively low breathing rate. But respirators measure a much smaller particle at a much higher breathing rate. And they have to show some ability to seal to the face. So you get a much better filtration of the air when you inhale as opposed to just capturing stuff when you exhale. Eric, what about medical respirators? How do they differ? So surgical respirators start out by being respirators, so they have to be approved by NIOSH as, say, an N95. But then the FDA looks at them and makes sure that they have uh, flammability, meet their flammability requirements, that they're not going to ignite it, stay ignited, and that they have... um, biocompatibility, so they're not going to cause rashes or irritation. Um, And also they have some level of splash protection um, for the medical arena. So if I'm a healthcare worker requiring a medical respirator in a hospital environment, what's the number one thing I should check or ask for before I don that product to ensure that it's giving me the highest efficacy and protection level? Well, you want to make sure that it complies with some respiratory standard, even 149 or NIOSH N95. And then also, is it a surgical respirator or surgical or medical mask? So that gives you some additional protection from a splash standpoint. And what role does NIOSH play in respirator standards? So in the U.S., NIOSH is the regulatory body that assesses the design of respirators to make sure that they comply with the U.S. federal regulations. So in the U.S., uh, OSHA is the worker protection agency, and they have rules on what an employer must have in place to protect their workers who might be exposed to respiratory hazards. And part of that requirement is that they use respirators that have been approved or demonstrated to meet regulatory standards. And NIOSH is the agency that tests those designs to make sure that they do meet those standards. So they're the ones who show that these products can meet 95% filtration of 0.3 micron particles at a fairly high flow rate. So how important is it then that the respirator I don, if I'm a healthcare worker, is NIOSH approved? It's very important that it is is NIOSH approved so that you have assurance that it is a quality product and it's going to offer you the protection that you need. And further, for healthcare workers, you really want to make sure that it's also a surgical respirator because that has also been reviewed and approved by the FDA as a medical device. So our healthcare workers are being presented with a range of different types of respirators, N95s, KN95s, 
P2, PP2. Can you provide a high-level outline, Eric, of how these may differ and what I should make sure I try and use? So those respirators are similar in what they are intended to do, and the criteria are fairly similar. They all have um, respiratory filtration requirements of around 95% of the 0.3 microns. So they're going to be similar to what an N95 is. Um, then they start to deviate a little bit on additional things like what, you know, the pressure drop tolerances might be a little bit different. Um, probably the biggest difference, for instance, is the KN95, they are allowed to have ear loops, whereas N95s and P2s generally have to have an around the head head strap to make sure that you have a really good seal to the face. Now, one difference is surgical N95s because they have the additional inspection by the FDA and provide some assurance of splash resistance where the other standards do not go there. So, Eric, what is the very best N95 mask I could don as a healthcare worker to ensure I'm protected in a COVID-19 environment? Well, the best thing that you can wear would be a surgical N95 respirator that is a level three splash protection. And working down from there, you would wanna have uh, a respirator that has level two or level one splash protection, uh, FFP2 that was type 2R compliant, um, working your way down, then some sort of N95. The key point with any of those products is to make sure that they are worn properly, that you're wearing them on your face and getting a good seal. Uh, and if you can't, get a respirator, then you're down to medical face masks. But again, you want to make sure that they have some level of splash protection um, if you can, and then make sure that they are well fitted to your face, that you're bending the nose wire and minimizing any gaps. Some healthcare workers actually comment that N95s aren't really very comfortable. Can you talk to why they may feel that way, Eric? Yeah. So Filtration and breathability are competing attributes. So the better a product filters, the harder it is going to be to breathe through. So since respirators are really good filters, they're going to be less good um, as are going to be less breathable. So people are going to struggle with that. So one way manufacturers kind of compensate for that is to make a larger mass. So the larger breathing volume helps dissipate your exhaled air, and so it doesn't get as hot as fast as smaller respirators. Um, you've also heard in the news that a lot of respirators will have an exhalation valve, which obviously is not what you want in a pandemic because you don't want to share any germs. So now you're stuck with respirators without exhalation valves, and generally larger breathing chambers are going to be a lot more comfortable. So it is worth seeing if you can find an N95 mask that does fit very well from a comfort perspective because it has a larger breathing chamber. Absolutely. As healthcare workers continue to search for masks in the Asia-Pacific region, we are seeing KN95 masks being offered as a respirator solution in some countries. What's the difference between an N95 and a KN95? Well, N95s are approved by NIOSH and KN95s are in, approved by the Chinese government. So KN95s are not automatically approved by NIOSH. So even though the standards are similar, the bodies that are assessing them are not. 
Um, physically, one big difference between a KN95 and an N95 is how they're attached. All N95s and FFP2s will have a head strap that wraps around the head to provide a much more secure seal to the face. So what's the difference between an N95 and a P2? And what are the watchouts? N95 and P2 are very similar. It's just minor differences in how they're tested. Um, but one big watch out is if you have a risk of exposure to splashes, you want to make sure that you're using a respirator that has some level of fluid resistance, preferably level three. Eric, thinking about those countries where demand for respirators is outstripping supply, we've heard of facilities exploring the reuse or sterilization of N95 masks to stretch their supply. What would a facility contemplating this need to be aware of? Well, that is a really slippery slope because there's a lot of things that can go wrong when you try to reprocess uh, an N95. These are all single-use products, um, not intended to be reprocessed or sterilized or decontaminated. So there's a lot of things that can cause the product to not work as it was originally intended. So particularly, I'm talking about the loss of filtration performance of that product. Um, it's pretty obvious if you try to reprocess it and it starts to fall apart or the head straps fail, that sort of thing. But it's far less obvious if you destroy the filtration media. Well, it seems like everyone becomes a bit of a mask expert when there's a pandemic and it can be quite difficult to know what's real and what's misinformation when it comes to masks. We've asked some healthcare workers for questions they may have and have come up with four common mask myths. The first, Eric, is do masks actually act like strainers, providing protection to sift out particles? Well, they actually do to a point. But the point is not where we want them to act like strainers. So for larger particles, they will get caught between the fibers of the filter media. But that works down to maybe 10 microns in size. Once you start getting smaller than that, the particles could actually flow through the pores in the filter media. If you made the pores smaller, then you wouldn't be able to breathe through it. So fortunately, when you have small particles, a different mechanism starts to happen, and those particles start to just stick to the fibers themselves, kind of like flies on flypaper. So the key then is to have a filter media that has a lot of fibers in it and provides a rather tortuous path through the filter media so that those particles are going to hit a fiber and stick. Now, we've learned decades ago that if we take that filter media and impart electrostatic charge on it, it greatly enhances the ability for the media to capture those particles. And what ends up happening is really small particles are so small and so light that they're very easy to capture. So what ends up happening is you have this size range that's around 0.1 to 0.3 microns in size that's the most difficult to capture because the particles are big enough that they um, may tend to get dislodged, but they're small enough to go through the pores. So that's the size that we want to focus on, um, which is also about the same size as viruses. So that is a very important test to make sure we're testing for particles in that size. 
So, Eric, you have dispelled that myth. A mask acts like a strainer, but only for large particles. A mask acts much more like flypaper when we're talking about smaller particles. Exactly. It filters out the small particles, yet allows it to be breathable. So our second myth actually focuses on those smaller particles. Is it true that the smaller the particle size, the harder it is for the mask to capture the particle and provide protection? To a point, when you get down to the 0.1 to 0.3 microns in size, those particles are very hard to capture because they're big enough to be blown off the fibers when they stick, but small enough to go through the pores that are in the filter media. When it gets smaller than that, they're light enough that once they stick to a fiber, they're there and they can't get dislodged. So that 0.1 to 0.3 micron size is known as the most penetrating particle size, which is why respirator standards focus on that size when they do their testing. Another consideration is that the large droplets hold a lot more of the organisms. If you have a 10 micron droplet and a 100 micron droplet, The 100 micron droplet is going to have over a thousand times more organisms in it than the small 10 micron droplet. So it's great that the larger things are being captured more easily because they're the ones that are going to have far more of the germs inside of it. So our third mask myth or mask question is that if a surgical mask and a respirator mask both have the same bacterial filtration efficiency measure, say for example 95%, then they're both offering the same level of protection. Is that correct? Unfortunately, no, because the way these two tests are performed, they are not measuring the same thing. So bacteria filtration efficiency is measuring three micron particles at a fairly low flow rate, but the respirator test measures 0.3, much smaller, 0.3 micron particles at a much higher flow rate. A common error is when people compare a 95% BFE mask to an N95 respirator, they think they're getting the same filtration and will go with the easier to breathe through mask. But if you take a 95% BFE mask and run it through the same N95 filtration test, it will only achieve about 40 to 60% efficiency. So you're not getting nearly as much protection with a 95% BFE mask as you would with an N95 respirator. So I think we've well and truly dispelled this one throughout the podcast, but the final mask myth is if I'm wearing a mask, I'm protected. That sounds like one of those trick questions we got in school because we definitely want to be wearing a mask. It protects the people around you. It helps protect yourself. But the key thing is you have to wear it properly to help protect you against inhaled hazards. They only filter air that goes through the mask, so it's very important to get a good seal around the edge of the mask Make sure that you have the nose wire formed properly around your nose and there's no gaps around the edge. So this does bring up a bit of a catch-22 because the better the filter of the mask, the harder it is to breathe through. And as it becomes harder to breathe through, you get more of the air around the edges. So it's important to have a good mask that has good filtration yet is breathable. And as always, just wear it properly. So a rule of thumb is that the easier it is for a mask to breathe through, the fewer particles it is capturing. So how do I know the respirator I'm wearing is actually offering a good seal? The best way to do that is to do uh, what is known as a fit test. So you don the respirator and you go through a series of exercises in a controlled environment where you 
assess whether or not you can breathe a test agent through the mask. Now, there's also what's known as a fit check, and you should do that every time you don a respirator. And that is to just pretty much blind off the respirator with your hands and inhale sharply to make sure that there are no leaks and exhale sharply to make sure there's no leaks or air blowing around the edges. But the best way to assure that you're getting a good seal is to do a fit test to make sure that you have a good seal around the edge. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this information, Eric. Who would have thought masks could be so complex? But it really is critical to have this depth of understanding to ensure that our healthcare workers have the right level of protection and know what to ask for when they're seeking a mask in a COVID-19 environment. Well, Lisa, Ty, thanks so much for having me on this podcast. It's been great talking with you. And let me know if you have any other questions. Well, Ty, what an enormous amount of information Eric presented and shared with us today. Who would have thought there'd be such a vast array of masks available? My key takeaway certainly is to be aware and know exactly what mask it is you're donning in your healthcare environment and be cognizant of what standard it meets, being the medical mask standard or the respirator standard. I agree, Lisa. It was really interesting talking to Eric today. And my key takeaway is to know exactly what makes a quality mask and that not all N95 respirators are made equal. You really want to make sure that you're getting the highest level of protection with a level three fluid resistant N95 respirator. Well, thanks for joining and listening to our latest podcast, The Role of Face Masks in a Pandemic. And if you haven't already listened, please tune in to our Gloves podcast, all about the gloves market in a pandemic. For more information, visit any of our Asia-Pacific websites at halyardhealth.com. I'm Lisa McKee, and we'll see you next time. Halyard has a proud history of partnering our innovative clinical products with in-service training, customer support, clinical research, and education to enable healthcare workers to remain at the forefront of best practice and industry trends. If you are an existing Halyard customer, visit halyardeducationfoundation.com.au and register to access our online education. If you have any questions about Halyard's innovative product line, please contact our customer care team or your Halyard representative. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy nor position of any other agency, organisation, employer or company. It's important healthcare customers consider their own standards and not hold these views in perpetuity.